I want to reiterate what was said a minute ago and to express thanksgiving for all the individuals that have come out tonight and have been here throughout the course of this effort to preach the gospel. I thank you all. I've often told people, it's one thing to get yourself ready and drive 60, 70 miles to go to something, and then you go home. But to come every night and to be there as much as you possibly can requires dedication, usually jockeying around of schedules and sacrifice, and thank you for that. You say, well, we're Christians. That's right. But we still live in a very busy world, and it's very difficult sometimes to make adjustments. And raising families, we've been there, gone through that, and it's very difficult. But thank you for doing that. Last night, this is the last night. I can remember back in a long time ago, we would have meetings, and I'm not crying for this, but two-week meetings were not unusual. Day classes were not unusual. I don't know how we did it. I really don't. And you knew when you left to hold a meeting, you basically were going to be teaching and preaching all day long, just about. And you'd come home, no voice left, wore out and tired and that kind of thing. But when you only have a few lessons and you're, you're trying to get a flow of thought going, sometimes what you do is you, you reverse and you don't stay in the same themes and you just try to find some way to produce a thought in people's minds that will make them better, encourage them, and something they can remember. Now, tonight's lesson is going to be a very simple lesson, extremely simple. I was toying with the idea of talking a little bit about God's grace, but I thought, you know, I'm going to have to work hard to do that, and it's not that complicated, but you can lose people very quickly, and uh, you're going to have to think really hard. You're going to have to think hard tonight, but it's going to be an easier lesson. And I want to talk about the presence of God. I want to talk about the power of the presence of God. And I'm only going to talk about the presence of God from the viewpoint of when God was born into this world. I'm going to talk about the birth of Jesus in just a minute. I'm going to talk about a baby. Now, I don't know about you, but I learned something about babies very early in my marital life. When a child is born, your life changes. Now, you get married, there's adjustments to make, but when a baby comes, it's incredibly different. And the presence of that baby who really can't talk, can't carry on a conversation, has a whole lot of habits you don't like, you know, but they totally change your life. You know, when you go back to the Bible, you realize that God was warning us that a child would be sent to this earth. Over in Isaiah 7, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and, and this is a very important prophecy. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And you read Matthew chapter 1 and you can read about that fact when it became a reality. Over in chapter 9 verse 6, Isaiah again said, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder." And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. 
And he goes on and says some other things that would involve David and the throne of David. And I would love to just stand up here and talk a lot about the kingdom of God and about the throne of David and about all the things that were fulfilled when Christ got here. But I want to get into this concept of presence. Daniel 9 actually gave us the birth date of our Lord. If you wanted to study that in prophecy, the 70-week prophecy, you should study it sometime if you've never studied it. And just, just note, how did the wise men know a star was going to be? And how did they know when this child was going to come? And there's ample evidence in Scripture that those dates were just basically there within reason. The Bible tells us in Galatians 4 that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem this world. What kind of times was it when our Lord came here? Well, I'm going to give you three thoughts on that. Number one, the major movers and shakers in the realm of religion were the Jewish people. I'm talking about on God's side. They had the law. They had the prophecies. They had the prophets. Did they fully understand it? No. But they were the ones that had been entrusted with it. We know that the Romans had power of government at that time. And we also know that the Greeks and the Gentiles had established the sciences of that day and much of the intelligence of that day. And under Alexander the Great, the new cities had been built and a common government had been established that Rome took over and, and uh, usurped. There was new commercial activity, a new culture. And Rome took all that infrastructure and created the environment of the time in which our Lord would be born. And you're going to see that's important in my lesson in just a moment. And in the midst of this, God sent a gift to this world. The Bible says that the birth of, that the concept of Christ coming to this world is an indescribable gift. Indescribable. Usually in our culture, when we say something is indescribable, we're talking about a, a major crime or some terrible murder. But I'm going to tell you something. Even, even the Lord himself, his life was indescribable in the beauty of his birth, but also in the pain of what he went through to save us. It was horrible what he went through. A babe born to die upon a cross. A babe born to be tortured by the very people that he intended to save. What a powerful thought this is. And what a horror it is to know that he came to this earth. Now I want you to go to Luke 2 to face that, by the way. A lesson like this is often preached around Christmas time by a lot of people. And we do it to combat the errors of that of that holiday, holy day that people in the world look at. But I have found that I'm more effective if I teach it away from that time period. People are more objective to listen to what I'm actually trying to say. And I want to show you four things that happened that came into this world when Christ was born. Very important things. Would you read with me, beginning in Luke 2, we're going to start with verse 1 down through verse 7. And it came to pass in those days. What days? The fullness of the times. What days? The days prophesied in the Old Testament and the prophets. That a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, who is the ruler of the Roman world at that time, that all the world, that known world, should be registered. And we'll tell you what that's about in a minute. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. 
Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, again fulfillment of prophecy, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, which is nothing more than a feed trough, because there was no room for them in the inn. We are living in a very unfocused time. We are living in a time when leaders and followers in this world today seem to have lost their way morally and spiritually. The first thought that I want to give you is that when the Lord came, he brought focus in a foolish world. Do you ever, do you ever when you're listening to everything going on, does it ever unnerve you as you think about the arena that we're trying to live in and people that have power to make decisions over us and especially decisions that will affect the future of our families. I'm, t- I'm not just talking about economically. I'm talking about spiritually. Maybe even our safety. And many times we realize that world power and world glory is greatly exaggerated. We realize that many people that say, we will protect you and take care of you, cannot do it. We will provide for you. They cannot do it. We will save you. They cannot do it. We're in the most powerful nation in the world right now. And look at the problems we have. Look at the uncertainties we face. As we sit on the cusp of great decisions that will be made in this nation. And listen, for most part of that, you will have a little bit of a say. I will have a little bit of say, but I promise you, we will not be the ones that carry the day. Over in the book of Daniel, one of the first world leaders who had been taught a great, a great lesson by the living God, Nebuchadnezzar, said this in chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. You don't know how I pray that our leaders would lift their eyes to heaven and their understanding will come back because many have lost their minds. I can't believe it. You know, in this country, it's illegal to execute a woman that's pregnant. But the same woman can make a decision to kill her child. Explain that to me. You know why they can't execute her because she's pregnant? Because the baby didn't commit the crime she did. That tears me up that we've got no more sense than that in our man-made laws. And yet... When same-sex marriage was ratified by the Supreme Court of the United States, I had one girl that was a college-educated girl that said, it's okay now because it's legal. And I thought, where did I fail? I didn't fail. Parents didn't fail. But she decided to listen to the ways of the world. And the Bible says right here, He said, my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven 
among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? I may say this to you. I don't understand how God does everything that he does. But I believe that he does what he does. And I believe that what he does has, has a, a point to it. And I believe the only way I'm ever going to be able to make it in this world is to focus on him and his word and his kingdom and his rules and his laws. But a fellow once said this about the American people. said, the American people will always do what's right. He had great confidence in us after they try everything else. And he's about right. We'll try everything else many times before we do what's right. Bible warns us that the devil wants to deceive us and remove our focus from the gospel and from the Lord. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter, in, in chapter 4. No, he didn't say it in chapter 4. I'm sorry, I'm pulling that up out of memory. But he was talking, chapter 11 is where I want to go. He was talking about worrying about the um, ability of the people to swallow hook, line, and sink or anything. And he said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What is that simplicity? Well, somebody says, is the gospel just that easy? I don't think that's what simplicity means there. But I do believe that the concept of that simplicity there is carrying out the idea of a purity and of a focus on what's right and what's good. And the devil brings a wisdom in that's full of confusion and every wicked and evil thing. And a lot of times when we're listening to the voice of Satan in many of these people that tell us what to think and what to do, and many of us turn on this information. You know, our president was bad to talk about fake news. Well, there is a lot of fake news out there. But it's, just not, it's not just with these media companies. It's in religion. It's in the advice that we're getting in colleges. It's everywhere. It's in pulpits. Many people are being taught to walk away from the simplicity in Christ. He said, if someone comes and preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or you receive a different spirit in which you've not received, or a different gospel which you've not accepted, he said this, you may well put up with it. That's another way of saying I'm scared to death you're going to swallow it hook, line, and sinker. I have never seen a time when my brethren in many places are letting the political realm outrule the spiritual realm. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says in Revelation 12, when war broke out in heaven, do you remember that verse? War broke out in heaven. And Michael and the archangel was doing battle with the devil and his angels and they were cast out. Not, not Michael and the archangel, but the devil and his angels. What does that word war mean? How do angels fight? Do they draw angel swords and cut each other's heads off? And No, angels don't die, folks. And the Greek word there is polymos. We get a word from that, politics. It's the war of ideas. It's the war of philosophy. It's the war where Satan is telling us to get what you want. Same thing he told Jesus. If you will fall down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Well, most of us don't want the kingdoms of the world, but we want our own little spot in it. And I'm going to ask you a serious question tonight. Are you focused enough not to give up what you have in heaven to have what you want on this earth? It terrifies me for so many people. See, let's go back over there. It said, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now this Caesar right here 
in the Roman government was Gaius Octavianus, and he was an adopted uh, child of, of Julius Caesar, but that's not important. What is important is this. He wanted everybody to call him Augustus. Now that word Augustus is not a name. That's a title. And it's a title that bears out that he felt like he was some sort of majestic, divine person. It's like a pharaoh, or it's like a Bimelech. It's like many titles that people have. People will wear titles because they feel pretty good about themselves, you know. But the problem was, this man, he said, now I want you all to upend your lives, and I want all of you all to travel to the city of your birth, the city of your family. Why? Because we're going to register you. Now, anybody know what the point was? Here, a pregnant woman's going to have to go traveling up the road now to be registered. Why? Well, this fellow wanted to know. He wanted the number. He wanted to know who were all the people. He's going to have to raise some money. He's got to raise armies and control an empire and live luxurious. And he needs to know where all of that's at. Now, I'm not opposing government in his lesson at all. But I am going to tell you that name Augustus is important for you to remember. A king of the earth is going to meet a baby. Can I ask you a question? We render under God what belongs to God, right? And under Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But I want to ask you a hard question. And I don't you ever forget this. Because you don't know the answer automatically. Who does Caesar belong to? Who does he answer to? One day he will answer to who? The same God you answer to. Don't you ever forget that. There's nobody in our government, nobody at the head of our government that will be an exception to the rule of judgment that's coming or the rule of God's law. And I think it's very important for you to understand at this Caesar right here, does anybody pay taxes to him anymore? Does anybody honor him anymore? No, he's been in the grave a long time and he knows the truth now. He knows what Nebuchadnezzar knows. Every individual that's ever had power over anybody that's dead and gone knows that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But it's hard for some people to realize that now and to understand that now. And I don't know how in the world we have it in our head that it is okay in this country to kill our citizens who are the most innocent people among us, the unborn. You say preaching to the, to the choir. Yeah, but you know what? If we don't preach to the choir often, sometimes they start singing for a different master. And I don't want that to happen. Number two, go back over there. When Christ was born, and you sung a song that touched on this, look at verses 8 through 12. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields. Now we're still just dealing with the baby. Keep him watching. Remember something. We're not dealing with a 12-year-old. We're not dealing with a 30-year-old. We're not dealing with a 33-year-old. We're just dealing with what? A baby that has said nothing yet, has not preached his first lesson. Just a baby that must be taken care of by its mother. And I think this is powerful to me. Now there were in that same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And suddenly, you know, heaven and earth now are united in this thing. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you 
good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, and listen to the description, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What a powerful statement about that. My baby, that, that Savior is a baby. My Savior is a baby. My Christ is a baby. My Lord is a baby. Now I'm not going to leave him in that cradle. I'm not going to leave him in that trough. He grows up. Today, many people, they only want to have a Jesus that's a baby. I'm no better than that. But this baby is more powerful than anybody in this room. And he is God. And you will, you will, and this will be the sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And he said, he said, this is good tidings. This is good news. I told you the other night that the Lord was a root out of dry ground. Have you ever stopped to think how hard it was to be Christ at this time or be a Christian at this time? What would it be like to have lived under a Nero? What would it have been like to know that a leader could just facetiously give out a decree and you could be executed, yea, tortured for your faith? Why, we, we can't believe that would ever happen in our country, can we? Well, there's things going on today. If you'd have told me 30 years ago, I would have seen these things. I would have denied it. Not in my country. And as I thought about this when I was preparing this material, I realized that at that time, life was so cheap. It was so hard to, to take care of yourself. The caste system had been set up. You were either very poor or you were very well off or you were in with the government or you weren't. But it was a difficult world to live in. In Luke 13, it's, it's very clear that life was not respected by some of the leaders. There were some present at that season, Luke 13, 1, who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. And they had tragedies. The 18 on whom the tyrant Siloam fell and killed him, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He gave us a list of some of the headlines of the day, the tragedies of the day, and the abuses of the day. And we read all of this and see this, and some of us even pursue into the conspiracies and, and the stuff that just creates this terrible sense of foreboding. I'm going to tell you why. We're listening to the bad news. I'm not somebody that denies that we need to know something about the current events. I believe we need to know something about that. But that does not define my worldview. That does not define my worldview. The good news defines my worldview. Well, somebody says, well, I think about Jesus when I go to church. No. You need to think about Jesus in every aspect of your life, every moment of your life. And I'm going to warn you about something. What is your name? Uh, I, my name is Raymond. But there have been times in my life you could have called me August. Or Augustus. You want to know why? Because I wouldn't listen to God. 
over in 2 Thessalonians. Do you recall this, this prophecy in chapter 2? When the Bible says, verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or that is worshipped so that he sets as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I told you these things? <clears throat> I've often wondered as we talk about this man or this individual, and yet we, we full well know that in Scripture there's times that a singular person identifies not one person but many. In Ephesians 2, did not Paul say he took Jew and Gentile, brought them together, and then Christ made what? One new what? One new what? One new man. Here's my point. How many of us think we're above God? And we, we don't think we have to be amenable to his will, his laws, his ways. We don't even want to obey his gospel. Don't even want to become a Christian. Because we think more highly of our own thoughts, our own concepts. There was a lady I knew, and she defended abortion. And she's a member of the church, 96 or 7 years old. And I've got to tell you guys something. I said, how are you doing that? By the way, she wouldn't go to church with me anymore because she disagreed with me on that subject. But here's the bottom line. She said, well, I vote for my check. Her personal wants and desires were more important than the sanctity of life. And she wasn't afraid to state that. And I thought, I think your middle name is Augustus. I think I'm meeting too many that are Augustus, and yet when I look at Christ, here he is submitting himself as this baby, humility, humanity, and honor, all in, in one place. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you a little secret. There is no one on this earth besides the Lord Jesus Christ that can rule your faith. Even an apostle said that. He said in 2 Corinthians... He said this in chapter 1, in verse 21 on down, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us as God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's what an apostle had. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. Dominion means rule. Paul said, I don't rule your faith. You don't realize that God has given you within your grasp, your hands, the decision whether or not you will believe and stand and obey the great king in heaven. But he will hold you accountable for that. Many people are living today totally separated from that. They don't want to accept that responsibility. They, they want to pretend that that's, they can make all these decisions at a, in a workplace or at school or in a business or in government and somehow or another God doesn't see what goes on in those interior business deals. He does. And we give answer for that. And the only way I know for us to focus like we should is to focus upon the good news that yes, our Lord has been born. And here, here is a bigger picture of it. Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. May I ask you a question? Is the student greater than the master? No. If my Lord, if my King, if the one that I serve from, from when he was a baby, born to go to that spot right there, if he had to do that, then should I expect less for myself? No, I shouldn't. And you say, how can that be the good news? Because even if my life was taken or yours, it would be Okay. For on the other side, my Lord would receive me just like he did the apostles. But in order to have that hope, we've got to fight the good fight. We've got to, to keep the faith. We've got to finish the course that we have. And I hate to tell you this, but the course varies in generations. Did you know that? It varies. You know, in Ephesians 2, he said, we, we all uh, have, have been involved with a course of life that's affected by the prince of the power of the air and those that are sons and daughters of disobedience, and every generation has had specific issues within it. Oh, they all come back to the same place. But I'm beginning to see just a little bit of how hedonism and materialism and humanism has developed a picture that insulates us from responsibility to God. You know, you know what the difference is in the present generation and the one I grew up in, besides a lot of years? About everybody that I knew growing up, even in my community, even though uh, I, I wasn't a member of the Church of Christ till, till I was 18 years old, but even before that, I would go to the old country stores or be working in the fields with somebody, and everybody I knew believed in two worlds. They believed in two worlds. They believed in the world we were working in, and they believed there was a world coming after we were finished here. And today I meet many people that only believe in one world. The one we're in right now. Their vision is so short-sighted they have forgotten the great knowledge of the ages. They forgot the baby was born. The third thing I want you to see is this. Go back to the text in Luke 2. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. The word host literally means army. And I think you need to remember that angels are described as an army. And I, I don't know how powerful all angels are. I, I don't think I could stand up to one angel. What do you think? I don't think, you know, we're made lower than the angels we are. They're powerful. But what, what, what would we do if an army came? Well, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to be judged when the army comes. The Lord is going to come in flaming fire and with his angels and he's going to come back to this earth and he is going to bring justice to this earth. And I, there won't be a king or a president or a despot or anybody else that will stand up and say, look, now here's my affiliation and this is why you need to leave me alone. It's not going to happen. We're all going to bow. We're all going to take that knee before the Lord. But it said this great host praising God now I love this, and here's what they were saying. They were saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, that peace and goodwill toward men, there's actually another translation 
to that. Many of your Bibles will have a secondary statement on that if you care to read it in your notes, many of them. He's really actually saying peace toward men of what? Men of goodwill. That's actually what he's saying. Peace toward men of goodwill. Now I thought about I thought about how we've got we need focus in this foolish world we're living in, and we need good news in this in this terrible bad news world we're living in. But we need to be goodwilled people in the middle of an ill willed place. Think how mean people are. There was something done to media a little while back that I finally went, Amen. When they got rid of Topics. Do y'all remember topics? Now, I didn't get on topics until one day somebody said, you're on topics. <laughs> oh, good or bad? Ah, you need to read it. Ah! So I got help and I, got, I found the feed and it said, Anybody know Raymond Costello? Anybody know any dirt on him? I thought, I do. (laughs) I'll answer it. (laughs) No, I didn't answer it. I wasn't going to share my dirt on there. I'm going to tell you why. They had to rent me. There wasn't anybody hardly on there had a good thing to say about anybody. It was the most ill-willed thing I ever saw. It was horrible. I want to tell you something. People that have mindsets like that never have peace. You think, oh, they're getting joy out of all of that. No, they're not. They're feeding on it. It's like an addiction. They feed on it. And yet one of the things that I loved about Scripture was that the Lord said in prophecy, go back to the book of Isaiah, that there would come a time when when people would beat their their swords into plowshares. You remember there in chapter 11. Go read chapter 11. and just It talks about the, the wolf and, and the lamb lying down together. And it talks about peace. And I know he's talking about Christ. And I don't think that means we tolerate sin and we allow wicked things to go on. I don't think that means we keep our voice to ourselves when people need to hear the truth. But I believe it means we always, we always have a heart full of goodwill when we do these things. And we're not deceiving ourselves. And we're not mean. Why am I having to yell? Because I've watched my brethren tear each other to pieces. I've seen the law of the jungle. Go to the book of Jude. Right after Jude speaks of the certainty of judgment from God and the certainty that God has warned us that if we live a strange life and we call ourselves Christians, that we'll face the vengeance of eternal fire. You will not hear me downplay that. But then for some strange reason, we're given an illustration. It's almost like the writer says, lest you... Get yourself worked up in a fizz and you're going to go head hunting like some religions do. I want to warn you about something. Here's what he says in verse 9. Yet, Michael the archangel, 
in contending with the devil. When he disputed about the body of Moses, I don't understand what the deal was with the body of Moses. I've got all kinds of ideas. Maybe he thought he owned that body because he struck a rock. I don't know. Why would he want a body? Maybe he thought he could take the body and get everybody to bow down and worship the bones of Moses. I don't know. Some form of artifact, I suppose. I don't know. All I know is there is a, there's another one of these discussions of ideas here. And it says, Michael is disputing with the devil. Now, who's the devil? Well, the devil is the foundation of all this evil and wickedness. And he coerces us and deceives us and gets us to think like him. Oh, by the way, somebody says, well, is the devil everywhere? I don't think he has to be everywhere. I really don't. Because I think when he gets us started, we can carry his mess anywhere we go. He doesn't have to be with us 100% of the time for us to do bad and hurt other people. But I'll tell you what it says right here. It says, here he is. He dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. And he goes on to speak how the wicked men that did not respect the creations of God were willing to talk evil about each other. Tear down dignities. Watch our political system. We're mean-spirited. Why is it that the, why didn't Michael say, you're a despicable, mean, ornery? He is, but why did he not tear into him? The only answer I can come up with is he respected God who created him. Are there people on this planet who have done such terrible things that you just hate them? You don't have that right. No, don't look at me like, oh, you're one of those tree huggers. I don't hug trees. I cut them down. You try to kick my door in the middle of the night, I don't know what I'll do. But it is loaded. I want you to know that. But what I am trying to tell you is this. He said, I'll give peace to men and women of goodwill. But I'm not going to give peace to ill will people. You ever had anybody come around your baby? And deep down in your heart, you hope, I hope they don't try to pick that child up. I don't want them touching my baby. Yeah, I know. My, we had four. My, my wife, she cast an eye on you. When you come up, you, you had to earn her respect to carry the babies. But there are some people, you just don't want them to touch your children. Why is that? Is it some second sense or you know something about them? They're just not a kind person. How does, Ill will, how does goodwill look? Go to Romans 12 for just a minute. I would have a lot to say about this, but I'll just read a few things. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what's evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. 
in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. But here's the, here's the verse. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Good thinking produces this. Stinking thinking produces fights and wars contentions, disagreement, divisions, gossip, and none of it's justified. If an angel simply says, the Lord rebuke you, you need to be careful. My last thought. These shepherds saw all this And so it was, verse 15 says, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now that's the true nativity scene, isn't it? Not the counterfeit thing that we see today. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Did you notice as it was told them? Did you notice? Let's go see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. Now, when they first heard all of this and, and heard the words, they hadn't seen it. So what they had was faith. But they wanted to go prove that faith. And it hit me that what the Lord brought when he was born was faith. Personal faith. In a very impersonal world of faith disagreement and doubt. More and more people tell me, if they don't want to tell me they're an atheist, they'll, they'll try to tell me, well, I'm an agnostic. I just don't know what I believe. And that's supposed to take care of everything. One guy told me not long back, he said, the Lord and I have got our own, own deal. We've got our own deal. He said, I don't need the Bible, don't need you, don't need anything. Got my own deal with him. Huh. I don't know how he knows that. Revelation had been given to them and that revelation had stirred them to personal action. And I want to tell you a little something here. 
Their works proved that they believed what the angel said. Why are we going to be judged by our works? Can anybody tell me that? Somebody says, well, you know what, you know what, we've, we've got to keep all this and do all this, and if we break one point of the law, we're guilty of it all. And we all know that, right? But my question is, why am I going to be judged by my works? Because Revelation 20 says I'm going to be. Your works, according to James chapter 2, proves what you really believe. Now, I used to be terrified. I used to be terrified. Lord, I can't keep this. I'm not able to do this. Don't get me wrong. I, I, sometimes I wasn't trying too hard. But the bottom line was I, was, I thought you had to do it absolutely perfect. Well, you do have to try to do it perfect. But will you? Nope. Now, what do your works prove? If, you're, if you are only living for law, you're a miserable person. Somebody says, are we without law? Nope, the Bible says we've got law. 1 Corinthians 9, 21. We're not without law. We're under law to who? Christ. Oh, by the way, I'll give you a simple thing. How could you be a sinner if you wasn't under law? Because sin is transgression of what? Law. You a sinner? I'm a sinner. Because I'm under law. But here's the problem. I have learned now that the reason I work for the Lord is because I not only believe the power and the truthfulness of his word and the perfection of the baby that grew up, but I also believe in the grace that was manifested in his life on my behalf. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul clearly taught we're saved by the gospel. We're saved by the death, burial, and resurrection and the doctrine of Christ. We're saved by all that. But he said, but it was through the grace that was manifested in Christ, in him, he said that motivated him to work more abundantly than all the other apostles. I do not believe grace makes you sit back and say, I've got, I'm home free. No, I don't believe that at all. I believe it moves you because you know salvation is right there. It's up to you to believe it and to do the things that you possibly can. And the Lord's grace will take care of you. What do you believe? Do you believe, you believe five items of worship is all it's going to take to get you to heaven? Do you believe just a little, a little formula of salvation is going to get you to heaven? Or do you believe strong enough that you'll addict yourself to the cause of Christ? Well, I saw the angels up there and, and they said he's over there where there's a sign and hey, come on, let's go. We'll leave the sheep and we're heading up. We want to see the baby. The last few years of my life, I've been trying to see the baby. I've been watching him grow up. I, I go back and study his life. I wish I, I wish I knew what he did from 12 to 30, don't you? I'd love to see him those 18 years. You, re you reckon he ever had a teenage moment? You reckon Mary ever went, what is wrong with that kid? <laughs> and what did they do with this when they, when they saw it? They saw it. And the Bible said, when they had seen him, 
they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Well, what was it, what the angels say? Well, there is born to you this, this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, once they believed this, they were willing to do what with it? To tell it. I know people that call themselves Christians. They ain't going to tell it. I don't know that you have to get up and speak it, but there's many ways to communicate. In the culture we live in today, we got all kinds of ways to communicate. But when I have good news, I can't keep it to myself. I don't, I don't have the discipline to do that. I find the coin, I won't tell everybody. If I, find, if I find a goat that got out, I tell people, I found my goat. I'm going to heaven. I think you ought to want to go with me. That's just so incredible to me that they did this. But can I ask you guys a question? And remember, it's a long way from the Christmas season. But if those, if those shepherds showed up during Christmas time and walked around and looked at all the nativity scenes, would they say, yep, that's exactly like it happened? No, they wouldn't, would they? But let me ask you another question. If, if people from the first century church showed up and said, huh, and looked at us, would, would they be able to say, yep, that's exactly what we were? Would they be able to say that? Would they be able to say, well, y'all, y'all are being saved exactly like we did it. Y'all really feel just like we did. Y'all are living just like we did it. And he ain't even out of the manger yet, folks. And he's already got us. A bunch of other sermons could be preached up here about the power of this birth throughout the generations of time down to this time period 2,000 years later. But I, I'm going to close this, but I'm going to tell you this. Did you, ever give, did you ever wrap up a gift and give it to a child and they looked at it? And I hate to tell you this, but when we give gifts, it, it, it's pretty materialistic what happens in my household. The kids get a lot of stuff. Birthdays, they get everything. And you know, you know how we excuse it. I'm old. Dur. Well, we didn't have nothing when I was growing up, so we're making sure our kids have plenty. It's not the best thought. I know that. But I still can't hardly get through it sometimes. But there's one thing I have never seen. One thing I have never seen. I have never seen a present wrapped handed to a child that they didn't take it go and get that thing opened up and look at it. Now they may lay it down and go for something else, but I have never seen them say, I don't want to open it. Our, our little brown dog likes to open gifts. What I do is, see, I'm a professional gift opener. I like to pile all my stuff up beside me and while all, everybody's opening theirs, then when I know everybody can watch, 
I start taking mine apart little at a time. And it's a torture that I do. Because they, they're wanting me to rip it open. I don't. I, I just peel it. And, and they, they know I'm going to do that. I'm a professional gift opener. But here's my, here's my point. I think it's mindless, but it's not. If God gave us all these things, focus, good news, peace, and faith, why wouldn't all of us open that gift and start using all that? Why do so many people leave that unopened? To get it, you have to do this. You have to open this. You have to open your heart. And your whole life changes. All because of a baby who grew up. Thank you for letting me come over here these few nights. And if there's anybody here tonight that wants to become a Christian, be born of water and the Spirit. Literally what you'll become is a babe with a bunch of potential. You don't have to be full grown like the rest that's been around for a while in Christ. But it's going to be fun as you grow and develop. And I hope and pray if you do it tonight, you'll have many, many years to watch the growth because it's unending. And you'll begin to see things in your life you've never seen before. You'll think thoughts that are so wonderful and good. And Satan will come after you with everything he's got. He will try to tear you to pieces. But the Lord will protect his. Will you give this thought while we stand up and while we sing?